Let's take a moment in prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we come to look at your word, as we come to reflect on the verses that Dan read for us earlier and a number of others, we pray that you would speak into not just our minds but our very lives, that we might reflect your character in the people that we seek to become as your disciples. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you are visiting with us this morning, or this is your, your first time back after a, perhaps a, a few weeks on holiday, you will see that we're, we're following a series in Proverbs under this title, as Dan said earlier, of, of Wise Up. Christoph has asked us to, I suppose, reflect each week that, that we begin, just to, as a reminder to, to folks on, on what is this passage about, or what are the, what's this book about? And it is a, a collection of, of various sayings, not just an encouragement to be wise, not just an encouragement to seek wisdom, but to, to try and pick out what are the threads, what are the themes that run the whole way through the book. Most of those sayings coming, as you'll see from the screen, from a guy called Solomon, but also from a few other individuals as well. The passage that was read for us this morning, though, coming under that banner of some of Solomon's Proverbs. And if you haven't been out at church over the last few weeks, been on holiday or whatever, I know that the, the sermons are available online. And so what you have missed so far, the introduction, a little bit of background to the wisdom itself, and an encouragement to be wise about words, and to be wise then, as we looked at last week, being wise about family. And if you continue after this week, the sermons that are coming up, or the themes that are coming up, the threads that we're picking out, what does it mean to be wise about work, wise about money, wise about health, wise about life and death? So that's a, a bit of the background, where we're coming from and where we're going to go to. But before we launch into this morning's theme, I, I want to pick up on a couple of things that Monty shared a couple of weeks ago. Monty was hugely insightful. Now, I'm conscious Monty's not here this morning, but his wife is, so I have to be careful. Monty... <sighs> trawled the depths and brought up stuff that was just amazing. And the one that struck me most was the fact that adults are treated differently in church from children. And what Monty did was he handed out sweets, because the kids always get sweets. Unless, of course, you sit down there, because there's a little group down in that corner that gets sweets every week. So I thought I would follow on in Monty's theme and, and try to address or redress this imbalance between what adults get and what the kids get. So we're going to start with a quiz. And for this to work seriously, you need to enter into it. Otherwise, I'm going to look like an absolute prat up here at the front. And we're going to look at this quiz at some, some proverbs, or what we might call proverbs. Not proverbs from the, from the Bible, but perhaps some that are, that are slightly newer. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the first bit of the proverb, and the first person with their hand up has to give me the rest of the proverb, but it's, it'll only be a single line, all right? So the first proverb begins, neighbors, everybody needs good neighbors. With a little understanding, you can find a perfect blend. Neighbors should be there for one another. That's when good neighbors become, whoops, should be there for one another. 
That's good, because I, nobody, nobody put their hand up, and I get the first prize. It's a wee bit retro, this quiz, so I can get those curly whirlies of the prize, okay? So there are prizes, just to give you that wee bit of an incentive. Let's go back a little bit. No one told you life was going to be this way. Your job's a joke. You're broke. Your love life's D-O-A. It's like you're always stuck in second gear, and it hasn't been. But, yep, but, on the next line. Well, we got, we got most of it here. We got most of it here. There you go. And for those of us of a different vintage again, see if you can get this one. Be glad there's one place in the world where blank, and they're always glad you came. You want to go where people know people are all the same. You want to go where blank, and it's the same words in the, where everybody knows your name. Brilliant. There you go. Now, the thread, well, there, there are a couple of threads through those. The first of it is that they're all based on TV series, and the first lesson we can draw from this is, is clearly, and not, well, it's not everybody put their hand up, I could see people mouthing the answers. The first, the first lesson is clearly we watch far too much television. But those three TV series, Neighbours, that aired on the BBC for the first time in October 1986 and is still running, Friends that had a season, or had 10 years worth of seasons, and Cheers, that final one, which ran for 11 seasons. Something compelling, something that draws us in when we reflect on friendships, when we reflect on groups of people living together, working together, doing, if using a Kirkpatrick phrase, doing life together. And we love sharing the highs and the lows. We love the openness. We love the honesty. We love the togetherness. People from various backgrounds, various situations coming together to do life together in friendship. The theme for this morning's Wise Up is Wise Up About Friendship. And the reality is, as, as we see from the TV series, as, as we see from the fact that we're, we're so drawn into those, is we need to be careful and we need to wise up about our friendships because friendships matter. They're not something that we want to just play, play fast and loose with. Not something that we just want to take for granted, but something that we need to make sure we understand. What is God's vision for friendship? What is the one who made us say about friendship so that we can try to reflect that and who we are and, and how we live our lives out? And we collected some of those words of wisdom in those verses that Dan read for us earlier in Proverbs 27. The other aspect of, of this series that, that Christoph wanted us to, to remind folks of and, and to share with folks is that in terms of the, the, the wisdom books, for some reason we don't have the picture, okay, no idea why. In terms of the, the wisdom books that includes Proverbs, there are other aspects of that, that that talk about friendship. But if you actually take the whole of the, and we'll put the next one up because we might as well have that because there's no pictures. 
through the whole of the Old Testament and through the whole of the New Testament, we see a thread that runs depicting friendship and what friendship looks like. Not just in those few verses in Proverbs, but the whole way through Old and New Testament. At the very beginning of the Old Testament in the book of Genesis, before man's even created, we see God existing there as Father, Son, and Spirit living together in community as one in friendship, in love, one for the other. As you go through Genesis, as you go through the rest of the Old Testament, we pick up themes of friendship again and again and again. In First Samuel, we, we hear of, of Saul, but we also hear of Saul's son, Jonathan, and of David the one who would then be king. And we read of their friendship, particularly in 1 Samuel 20. The development of that, the the, the lengths they went to to protect it. We go into the books of the prophets, into the book of Daniel, and we read of three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, living in a culture that was very much against their particular faith. And we see these three friends standing solidly together saying, this is what we believe. We will not be swayed by the prevailing culture. Finding strength, not just in their belief, not just in their their faith in God, but finding strength because of their friendship and their togetherness one with the other. We go through into the New Testament. We find Christ modeling friendship. He had his group of 12. Within that group of 12, he had a special group, a group of three, Peter, James, and John. And even within that three, he had one John, who was known as the Beloved. He had friends with Mary, with Martha, with Lazarus. And so he's not just giving us words telling us how we should be friends. He gives us an example one that we can follow, one that we can model our lives on. And so we move on to look at friendship. Friendship matters. And in particular, for those of us who are now part of the ongoing story of the Bible, Christ says to us, we're not in a a slave or a servant relationship with our Maker. But Christ says to his disciples in John 15, and therefore says to us, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. Christ is putting us today into that same category of Peter and James and John and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so we can receive that same friendship from him as they received. And we want to reflect that same friendship to those around us. And we've picked up on some aspects of of his friendship, of of his character in the praise that Dan has led us through this morning, his faithfulness, his sacrifice, his commitment, hallmarks of true friendship. So what do we read and what do we learn? We need to be careful. Friendships matter, and so we need to be wise in our choices of who our friends will be. Proverbs 12 and uh, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends wisely, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Reading on through the Proverbs into Proverbs 22, don't make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Proverbs 18, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
Choose wisely. Who are the people that you're spending time with? Who are the people that you're investing in? The reality is, as we spend more and more time with people, our character begins to reflect their character, and their character begins to reflect our character. And if we're spending our time day in, day out, spending our free time, spending our work time with those who are hot-tempered, easily angered, then the reality is that does begin to wear off on us. And instead of being able to take life with a little bit with a little bit more perspective, suddenly we start snapping back when somebody says something or does something that displeases us. And we too become that little bit more quick-tempered, that little bit angrier. And so we've got to be careful in our choice of friends. If our friends are unreliable, then suddenly we find our lives beginning to, to be a little bit more shaky. That foundation of friendship being rocked again and again. But it's, it's more important simply, though, than, than having a, an, an easier life Monday through to the Sunday. God says this, if you choose to be friends with the world, it's not just that your Monday to Friday or your Monday to Sunday is not going to be as easy, perhaps, as you might like it to be. It's not just that your life might head towards ruin, whatever that looks like. What he says, actually, if you're a friend of the world, if you're deliberately investing time and spending time with those whose character doesn't reflect my character, and that's the friendships that you're really investing in, and those are the people that you're giving real worth to, those are the folks that you're saying, yeah, I want to be like this, then God says, actually, there's a problem. Because you can't be like that and also be my friend at the same time. If you choose to be a friend of the world, then you're becoming an enemy of God. Christ saw that perfectly, or perhaps I should say Christ saw that imperfectly. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ, knowing that his death was imminent, his friend one that he had spent the past three years with, came with the Roman soldiers, entered the garden, went up to Christ, his friend, and betrayed him with a kiss. That friend had chosen the way of the world. That friend had chosen the riches that the authorities were offering. That friend had chosen to curry favor with the local authorities rather than be his friend or be the friend of Christ. His friendship was superficial, and he used a kiss to betray the Messiah. Be wise in our choices. You need to be careful. What I don't want you to hear, though, is that we should leave this place and we should surround ourselves totally with Christian company. We do have to be wise in our choices. Who are the people that we're saying, yours is the character that, that I want to, to echo? 
and I want you to, to help me reflect the God character. I'll talk about that in a moment or two. But in the Bible, the very same word that's used for our friendship with God is exactly the same word that the Pharisees use of Christ's friendship with the tax collectors and the sinners, those that the church might deem undesirable. And yet Christ was out there. What we're looking at here is a matter of balance in our choices. Who has to be our closest friend? It has to be Christ. He's, his is the character that we want to echo. His is the character that we want to reflect. His is the character that we want to develop. Next to that, we, should, we have our group of Christian friends. I'll say a little bit more in a moment about what that looks like. Well, outside of that, we do want to cultivate friendships with people who don't yet know God. And because they don't yet know God, there will be character traits that they have that actually aren't helpful to us in our growth, but actually we still want to, we still want to be their friend. Because if we don't hold out a hand of friendship, if we don't share our love of God with them, how will those folks ever come to know the one who is the Messiah? And how will those folks who are hot-tempered, who are easily angered, how will they ever begin to learn to modify their behavior? If they don't meet the Christ, how can the Holy Spirit begin to work in their lives in the way that He's working in our lives and changing us? So be wise in your choices, not in case of excluding people, because Christ didn't exclude anybody. But how to be wise in our choices in how people influence us and how we allow people to get in under our skin. So be wise in your choices. And again, if you're a parent here of, of teenagers, let's, let's earth this. If you're a parent here of teenagers, who are you letting your teenage son or daughter go out with as a friendship group? Not necessarily, I'm not talking here about a, sort of a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, but in terms of a, of, of a group of friends. Who do they go out with? Do you only allow them to go out with Christian friends? Or do you allow them to go out with a, a group of Christian, a mixed group of Christian, non-Christian? If we, if we try to wrap our teenagers in bubble wrap, what's going to happen when they go off to university and suddenly we're not there to wrap them in cotton wool? How do we as a church family uphold our baptismal vows so that we so earth our young people and our children in the ways of God that actually they're able to go out into the world and they're able to have non-Christian friends and yet still be able to be wise about how they act within those friendships. We also want to choose wisely as adults. How much of our time as adults is spent in Christian company versus non-Christian company? Are we actually overdosing in our relationship with the Christian company? Are, are we wrapping ourselves in cotton wool? Do we go out with our work colleagues? We have a terrible tendency in churches. If, if some of us have a particular interest what do we do? Well, we create a group for that inside the church, and we invite others into it. 
many churches have walking groups. Lots of people are interested in walking, both mountain walking and just low-level stuff. So what do we do? We form a church walking group. We surround ourselves with our Christian friends to go for a Christian walk out in our Father's creation. You know, why do we not go out and walk with people who aren't Christians in our Father's creation? Are we cultivating those friendships? Something to think about. And whoever we build our friendships with, let's be committed. Proverbs 19, wealth attracts many friends, even the closest friend of the poor deserts them. Christ in the New Testament spoke of the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son who had lots of friends when he had most of his father's wealth still in his hands or in his bank account. But once that money disappeared, so too did the friends. Many curry favor with the ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who give gifts. Are we being wise as we look around us and think, well, who, who's trying to make friends with us, and, and why do they want to be friends with us? Why do I want to be a friend with that person, and yet I shy away from that person? What is that person offering me that this person doesn't? It's very easy to form the friendship and be committed to the friendship where there's something in it for you. It takes a much bigger commitment to say, do you know that person that nobody else talks to? That person who sits alone in the staff room? That neighbor that nobody else calls with? It requires a lot more commitment to call with them when there's absolutely nothing in it for you in return. Be committed, and not just when it suits. We're told then again to Proverbs 17, a friend loves at all times, not just when there's a space in the diary. And think of the big picture. Don't forsake your friend. Don't forsake a friend of your family. Being committed going that extra mile. Again, we've picked that up in the, in, in the, even just the final piece of praise that we signed together. <clears throat> reflecting on what Christ did. Reflecting on Him leaving His Father that He might come to earth. Why? So that our friendship with the Father could be restored. We think of that commitment. We think of what the basis was of that commitment. For God so loved the world, He sent His Son. Do we have that same love for our friends that we would give our all? Dan shared this earlier. Greater love has no one this to lay down his life for his friends. That's the level of commitment that God requires of us. And He modeled that. And in fact, He went one stage further. He didn't just love his friends. He came while we were still his enemies, and he gave his life for us. How much more then should we be giving our lives to our friends, giving ourselves to that? We live in an age 
where friendship is superficial. I don't know how many of you are on Facebook. I have a friend who has a, well, has a quite a huge following of friends, quite a number of whom would actually come from the Catholic stroke nationalist background. A number of them decided that they were going to defriend him when, he, when, when the number of friends was heading towards 1690. He said, no, we're not letting you go there. How can you have 1,690 close friends? The reality is on Facebook, you don't have 1,690 close friends. You might have five close friends and the rest are stalkers. If you have me as a friend on Facebook, yeah, I'm a stalker. I rarely put anything on my timeline. But happy to read other people's. This doesn't call for a Facebook type friendship. This calls for real, committed friendship. Doing life together. Let me give a challenge to our discipleship groups. We have this monthly slot, doing life together, but do you only, do we as groups only do life together when we're, on a, when we're meeting on alternate Wednesdays or on that third or fourth Sunday of the month, whatever it is? Are we only committed friends, actually, three occasions in a month? Should our Christian friendship, that deep Christian friendship, that commitment that we want to give to that, because we know that during the rest of the week we're going to be in a circle of friends that isn't necessarily Christian, should that not be so much more important to us? And should we not be investing and committing more and more to that? Let me praise my discipleship group, because it's not my discipleship group. I just happen to be a member of it. We have a member in our group who is Mr. Techno Geek. Loves all things social media, all things techie. And he persuaded us that as a group we would create one single Twitter account. So in case you think I'm down in social media with Facebook, these things have their places. But we have a single Twitter account where we all have the same username, all the same password. We don't invite any other friends in. Maybe that's... yep. <laughs> goes in the face of maybe some of the stuff I'm saying. But as a, as a group, we all feed into that. And so we're not just meeting each other on every other Wednesday and on one Sunday in the month, but we're meeting each other in our conversations. And we're meeting each other in the day-to-day as somebody posts up a picture of what they've been doing, as somebody posts up a prayer request, as somebody posts up, as they did recently, a prayer of thanks because they've been present when a child had given their life to Christ. And suddenly then, as a discipleship group, we're doing life together, and we're encouraging one another, and we're supporting one another, and we're sharing real life, committed one to the other. I haven't been asked to plug the discipleship groups for next year. If you're not in a discipleship group, if your friendship within this congregation, though, is is relegated to an hour and a half or two hours, depending on how long I go on for this morning… How are we building our friendships in this place? For us, the dis- coming into the discipleship groups here as, as new members here only two years ago has been a way for us to really connect closely 
and intimately with some of the members of this place. Be committed. But as you're wise in your choices and as you're, as you're committed, also be honest graciously. Psalm 22, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. This particular proverb written by King Solomon, so Solomon saying, if, if you have a pure heart, if you love a pure heart, and if you speak with grace, with graciousness, then I'm happy to be your friend. But extend that to God. Imagine God standing in front of you, Christ standing in front of you saying, do you know, if, if, if you love a pure heart, if your desire is that your heart would be pure and the hearts of others would be pure, and if you can declare that graciously, then I'm more than happy to call you my friend because that's what's on my heart. Do we have that pure heart? Do we want to develop a pure heart in our own lives? Do we want to see those pure hearts developed in others? Proverbs 27, the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. As friends, we cannot stand back while others, while our friends are doing things that we think, hold on, this is, this is out of order. This isn't good for them. This isn't actually helping them develop a pure heart. I, I need to share this with them. Do we do that in our discipleship groups? Have we got to that stage yet in our discipleship groups and our Christian friendship where we're able to say to somebody, can you tell me what are the character traits that you see in me that aren't particularly godly? And would you hold me accountable as we seek to change them? Because I know you love a pure heart and I know that you'll speak to me pleasantly, but graciously, but honestly. Do we do that in our discipleship groups? Do we do that if we're in a prayer triplet? Do we do that with our spouses if we're married? Proverbs 27, wounds from a friend can be trusted. It's not always going to be easy to hear some of the things that a friend might say to us. But it's only a wound. Wounds heal. Whereas if they don't say to us, the thing that they see wrong can destroy. 25, 30 years ago, there was a, a pastor, church leader, still involved currently in church leadership, but was discovered to be having an affair with a member of his congregation. A married man having an affair with a member didn't destroy his marriage. His wife stood by him. And for the period of time, he stepped back from church leadership. He was totally repentant. He knew what he had done was wrong, but he reflected on what had led up to that particular set of circumstances that he gave in to the temptation. That The reality is having power, or what some folks might think of as power as a minister, can actually, the temptation that can be put in front of you, when you're in and out of people's houses, when you're building up close relationships, when people are being intimate with you. And he wasn't passing blame. He held his hands up and said, the fault here is entirely mine. But the pastor concerned, a guy called Gordon MacDonald, who writes in a, in a book called Ordering My Private World, 
He said, no one asked me how it was with my soul. He had no friends who were prepared to say, Gordon, this is going to hurt. But that relationship that you're having with that member of the congregation, just how close is it? Are we prepared to do that in this place? Or is our life together just superficial friendship? It's not just, though, about, and finishing this one positively, it's not just about finding the fault in one another, but it's about encouraging one another on. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Are we happy to bounce off each other? Do we have that relaxed? Do you know when when you're with a friend, you can say almost anything. They're not going to take offense easily. Things can bounce off them. But it's in friendship groups. It's when you're away with a university CU. It's when you're in a youth fellowship weekend that you sit up to the wee small hours of the morning solving the problems of the world. So at three o'clock, yes, we've got it. If only we could have a direct line to Barack Obama, we could tell him how to get this stuff done. Do we create those opportunities within our church family? Or, or is that something that only happens when you're in a youth fellowship or in a you know, in a university Christian union. Again, where do we have those opportunities? And again, the discipleship groups, places where we can bounce off one another, where we can say, I think it might be this. Somebody else says, I think, no, I think the meaning of this might be something else. But where we can bounce off each other, where we can work out together what is God saying to us so that we can grow and be more or have more of an impact in this world. So wise up about friendship. They matter. Be wise in the choices that you make, not just about the people, but the relative amounts of time that you spend. Be committed. Be honest graciously. And why? Because those are the words originally of King Solomon. But we read in the letter to Timothy, that all of Scripture is God-breathed. These are God's words. And Christ says to us, you're my friends if you do what I command. You're my friends if you are committed. You're my friend if you're honest. You're my friend when you choose wisely. You're my friend when you extend the hand of friendship to those who don't yet know me. You're my friend if if you seek to reflect in your life the life that I lived while I was here on earth. Amen.